Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've come to the final episode of Season 4 of Let's Talk About Sex which I'm finding quite hard to believe. It's been such a pleasure to have Audio-Technica on board again as presenting partner for the season. Their support has meant a lot, and their equipment is a huge reason why the show sounds great. Right now, I'm recording on an AT4050, which I'm loving and hope you are too. Be sure to check out Audio-Technica's Creator Pack if you're looking at content creation yourself. And if you're not a producer, get onto their home audio setups to get your home entertainment on point. Find out more at audio-technica.com.au. Gloria Vale Christian Community has found itself in the New Zealand media headlines on multiple occasions. Its founder was once jailed for sexual abuse, but community members were convinced that he was jailed for preaching the gospel. Followers claim that their way of life is all about the common good and nobody having more than anyone else. Former members say that their time there was dominated by endless work and an overriding sense of fear. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we continue, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing related to emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. This episode also includes mentions of sexual and physical abuse, including of minors. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. What is known as Gloria Vale Christian Community today was founded by an Australian man who was born with the fairly innocuous name Neville Cooper and died with the more descriptive name Hopeful Christian. It's tricky to find out a lot of detail about the early life of Neville Cooper. One of his granddaughters, Lilia Tarawa, left the community at the age of 18 and wrote about her experiences in a book called Daughter of Gloria Vale. She wrote that her grandfather served as a pilot in the Air Force and married her grandmother, Gloria, when she was just 16. Lilia said that Gloria was a gentle, sweet-natured woman who was adored by all and happy to submit to the will of her charismatic, forceful husband. When Neville became a born-again Christian evangelist, travelling to preach to church communities throughout Australia in the 1940s, he didn't work so well with other pastors who weren't as ready to bend to his authority as Gloria was. The family eventually ended up in northern Queensland, where Neville started up a mission called The Voice of Deliverance. He was heavily influenced by the American evangelist Billy Graham, and followers were drawn to his strong sense of purpose. 
When a farmer donated a small airplane to Neville, he became known as the Flying Evangelist and was able to spread his interpretations of the Word of God to isolated parts of the country. Neville relied on God to provide and accepted donations from supporters to keep his family's needs met. Between his missions, he'd take whatever jobs were available, from mechanic to baker, and was adept at learning new skills. He also built a caravan from scratch for his family to live in, and sewed all the dresses for his first five daughters before teaching Gloria to sew for the rest of the kids. Gloria was often left to care for the couple's multitude of children for long stints while Neville was away. In December of 1965, when Gloria was pregnant with their tenth child, she, Neville and two Aboriginal missionaries took the airplane from Maryborough on the Queensland coast to Coolangatta, 350 kilometres south. Partway into the trip, the plane's engine began to have trouble and then cut out entirely while they were still at 1,000 feet. The plane hit the treetops below and its wings and tail were ripped away, leaving only the fuselage with the four passengers inside. Lilia wrote, The cabin hurtled forward, ramming the trees as it went, and hit the ground at terrifying speed, almost 100 kilometres per hour. Everyone survived relatively unscathed, aside from one passenger, John, who had a broken neck but was still able to get out of the plane. Neville located his video camera in the wreckage and started filming their ordeal. The party was stranded for three nights with only a bag of mangoes from the plane's cargo and water from a nearby watering hole. Eventually, when rescue wasn't forthcoming, Neville took matters into his own hands. After some troubles with the strong current, he crossed the saltwater Cowrie Creek and was able to locate a fisherman and get help. The group's survival was considered by rescuers and police to be a Christmas miracle. Five months on, Gloria gave birth to a baby girl she called Miracle, who would later become Lilia's mother. Neville's travels soon took him to New Zealand on a gospel revival campaign, where Lilia wrote that the local churches appreciated his straightforward approach and that, quote, At this stage, Neville gave wholesome guidance for practical Christian living, transforming many families' lives for the better. Neville's trip had been such a success, and he was so well received, that he decided it was time to move the entire family to New Zealand. Over the next 18 months, they travelled around the country, and eventually settled in Rangiora, 29 kilometres north of Christchurch, on the east coast of the South Island. There, Neville was invited to preach at some meetings run by the Christchurch Revival Centre, but again got into disagreements with the leaders there, who didn't see eye to eye with him on everything. This time, Neville took a chunk of the attendees with him to start his own movement, which became the Christian Church at Springbank. It was 1969, and this was the beginnings of what would evolve into the Gloriavale Christian community. Many of the ideas that Neville brought to the Christian church at Springbank sound quite appealing. He preached about unselfish charity, and after seeing a family struggle through the rain with their pram, while another arrived at church in two separate expensive cars, he asked the congregation why they shouldn't pool such resources, sell the expensive cars, buy cheaper cars and fix them up for those in need. The family who had struggled in the rain were gifted with a car that Neville had fixed up himself with his mechanical knowledge, and they cried with gratitude, so the story goes. Neville next taught about total unselfishness and faith in God to provide, by having the congregation buy nothing for themselves for a full month and instead assigning each family to care for another family's needs. Lilia wrote that Neville felt that this fostered a culture of giving and equality, leading to people holding possessions in common pools rather than personal ownership. From here, the church started to buy groceries in bulk to save money and distributed them equally according to a points system. The points system was then extended to apportioning wages and profits amongst the group from church businesses, and then eventually the church was providing for all of the members' needs – so money was no longer required, and wages were no longer paid out at all. 
members closed their bank accounts and relied solely on the church. Two of Neville's daughters married brothers from well-to-do farming backgrounds, and when the brothers inherited a farm at Cust, they allowed the church to use the property. Eventually, one brother donated his portion to the church, and the other, who had left the community, allowed them to buy his share. On this property, the community built a church complex and a school, and started up a number of businesses including mechanics, plumbing, cabinetry and aircraft engineering. Neville preached that Christians should wear modest clothing. In his following, the women were to wear dresses that covered them from neck to ankle and wrist, the men full-length trousers and shirts with long sleeves. Nothing was to be close-fitting, expensive or striking. When he heard about the clothing of the Amish and Hutterite communities, Neville decided to introduce a matching dress for all women to wear. In 1989, Neville drew up the navy blue dress design that women in the Gloria Vale community still wear today. The women didn't like the design particularly, but they felt it was their duty to submit to God's will. Over time, this dress was introduced for girls from toddler age upwards, and they are even worn for swimming. The men all wear dark blue trousers and light blue long-sleeved shirts. Women are also to wear a headscarf, and on the FAQ page of the Gloria Vale website it says, Head coverings such as scarves are worn as a sign to the angels that a woman has placed herself in submission to the authority of the man. As taught in 1 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoureth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoureth her head. No jewellery or makeup is permitted, including wedding rings, which Neville considered defiled the Church of God as they came from pagan rituals. For weddings and special occasions, women wear a pink version of the dress. Neville believed that the vows and the consummation of a couple are what forms a marriage bond, and that once married, a couple were mated for life, with no divorce permitted. Neville didn't believe in celebrating Christmas, Easter or birthdays. In Gloria Vale, members don't use the names of months. January is referred to as the first month, February as the second month, and so on. Neville said that members should take on names that signified their purpose in life, and renamed himself Hopeful Christian. The kinds of names you'll come across at Gloria Vale are Steadfast, Love, Miracle, Faithful and Constant. In 1990, Gloria began suffering from terrible headaches and was subsequently diagnosed with a brain tumour. Neville was grief-stricken and utterly distraught by the death of his beloved wife two months later. When the community outgrew the farm at Cust and purchased a remote dairy farm in the Hyperi Valley, in honour of Neville's late wife, it was named Gloria Vale Christian Community. Neville's granddaughter Lilia wrote in her book that she'd learned Gloria Vale history up until a certain point, but that she found it difficult to reconcile the community she knew and the one whose beginnings were so full of generosity and promise. Quote, I discovered that certain pieces of the puzzle were missing. I found myself needing and wanting to find out how a church that was truly Christian and loving in the beginning could have evolved into the one I knew, which was often far from loving, kind or forgiving. Lilia learnt that people who disagreed with Neville were publicly humiliated and shouted at for hours. She learned that there were people who didn't go along with certain decisions and who left along the way. These included some of Neville and Gloria's own children. When Gloria died, her children that were no longer in the community weren't even permitted to attend her funeral. Those who stayed on believed that Neville could do no wrong that as a man of God, all of his decisions and actions were justified. Hannah Harrison is another of Neville Cooper's granddaughters, and she lived at Gloriavale up until the age of 20. She's now 26. Hannah told me about her impressions of Neville. 
as a child, I admired him a lot. And he was always happy. He was always getting things done. And, and you know, he, he like, looking back, he was very controlling and he liked everything done his way. But um, I didn't, like, I, as a child, I didn't feel unsafe around him or threatened by him. Um, he... I, I guess for me, he was probably one of the least threatening people. Like there was this sort of um, this culture of reverencing him and holding him above everyone else that you sort of, you know, you really wanted to please him and you didn't want to ever do anything wrong because he wouldn't be happy. Um, but for me personally, I didn't find it threatening. Sometime after Gloria's death, Neville remarried to an older woman named Anna. Hannah was born in 1994. By 1995, the church owned 1,700 hectares of land either side of the Halpiri River. Gloria Vale Christian Community is situated in a stunning part of the world. Hannah told me a bit about the community's setting. As far as a place goes, it's one of the most beautiful places. Like It's surrounded by mountains and rivers and lakes and always green uh never stops raining but yeah like it's a beautiful place to grow up from the aspect of the location it's at the foothills of the southern alps nestled in the halpiri valley and by the shores of a lake on the west coast of new zealand's south island there's dormitories where today around 600 people live one family to a room there's a dining hall and kitchen, schoolrooms, offices and workshops built amongst rolling green lawns. They have like a central, what they call the main building, where everyone eats together and it's got like a big massive commercial kitchen and like rooms off the side for um, looking after children and stuff. So that's your main building that's kind of like I guess if you were looking up from the bottom of the property, it's up on this hill, sort of right smack bang in the middle, the centre of attention kind of thing. And then you've got um, four hostels, so everyone lives in the hostels, like three-storey hostels, and then there's a school, which they've just recently built as well. So that's all probably, you know, within two kilometres of each other. So everything is like very compacted right at the back of the property. So it's hard to get to as well. There's a moss export business, two dairy farms, deer for venison and velvet export, pet food manufacturing, honey production, an airline that offers scenic flights, helicopter servicing and adventure hunting. For the adventure hunting, wealthy foreign travellers could visit and stay in a luxury lodge built for the purpose, cleaned and prepared by Gloria Vale women, who also made the food. Lilia Tarawa wrote that this food was much better, tastier and more varied than we ever got to eat. Guides were Gloria Vale men who took the guests hunting for water buffalo or red trophy deer that they bred, or for wild boar, goats, rams and game birds. Guests could also fish the Halpiri River. Wilderness Quest New Zealand is no longer owned by Gloria Vale, and on its website today there are packages ranging from $4,950 for a Red Stag special up to $17,950 for a six-night, seven-day West Coast mega hunt that includes five animals for your trophy list. Although the food for Gloria Vale community members might be less fancy than what the hunting guests got, the provisions do cater for gluten intolerance, lactose intolerance and other dietary needs. Unless you want to become a vegetarian, that's not an option. The leadership structure at Gloria Vale involves around 16 male ministers who are referred to as shepherds and servants. 
three senior shepherds run the Gloria Vale Trust. There is a house mother, answerable to Gloria Vale's main leader, who manages all of the domestic organisation, including household duties and budgeting. The commercial workings are all managed by a male leader, answerable again to the main leader. According to the Glory of Our website, followers do not hold themselves up as being the pinnacle of holding all of God's truth. They understand that not every assembly of Christians has the opportunity to live as they do, and they understand that not everyone is going to have the same understanding of God's word. Certainly there seems to be some belief in Glory of Our leadership that other communities like the Hutterites are on the right path. But Hannah told me what she was led to believe about those outside of Gloria Vale when she was a member. I thought there was Christian people out there, but if they knew the truth that we knew, they would be living here too. <laughs> um, so it's a real sense of, and, you know, even for myself, a sense of the people outside of Gloria Vale are not as good as the people inside Gloria Vale. Um, and I guess there was, there's a real sense of curiosity too, just because it's a world you know nothing about. Um, but there's a real, there's like you're told from as young as you can remember that the people outside the community are bad, they don't share, they don't want to help anyone, they just live selfish lives for themselves. Um, if you leave, they'll help you just enough to get you started and then they'll dump you. And you know, they don't actually care. They just want to help you leave because they hate the community, basically. But, yeah, so a real sense of, like, we're better than everyone. Hannah told me that her childhood was ideal in some ways. I am the oldest of 15 siblings. So when we left, there was 12 of us. So I think that the community moved to the West Coast when I, just as I was born, basically. So um, my childhood, from a perspective of growing up in a really nice place with, you know, out on a farm with lots of rivers and mountains and all adventurous things that you could do, from that aspect, it was amazing. But I have to say, like, the, the overall arching, like, if I look back on my childhood the things that I see is how much fear I had as a child. Like, I think in my own personality, I had a tendency towards that, and then because of the environment, that was heightened to the absolute maximum. I just remember being scared of everything as a kid. As a, you know, four, five-year-old kid, I was terrified of going to hell. And, you know, if I did something naughty during the day, I'd lie in bed at night thinking, you know, if, if Christ comes back tonight, I'm going to hell, to the point where I'd, you know, get up out of bed and go and ask mum if I could go and apologise to this person for something horrible I had said. But the other side of fear, not even a fear of going to hell, but a real unhealthy fear of displeasing people and of making people upset with you or of of not keeping the rules even if you don't necessarily know all the rules just yeah I'd have to like looking back it's a really unhealthy amount of fear that I had of making somebody upset um and I think like that I guess that subconsciously came from, like, the culture around me that was always saying, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to keep this person happy and that person happy. And a real conditional love, like a real sense of, and, and they would say all the time, God's love is conditional and so theirs should be conditional as well. And a, a really performance-based culture as well. So as in getting your work done right, wearing your scarf the right way, having your sleeves at the right height, um, saying all the right words, just to really, you know, tick all these boxes and you'll be good enough for us kind of thing. 
And I think as I got older, I tended to just say less and less because I knew that if I said something and it was wrong, it was kind of come back to bite me. So if I had an opinion, I was better off keeping it to myself. And I know that even as like as a teenage girl in the in the Saturday night youth meetings, they would say things like, Woman, you should not have an opinion. And I remember sitting there thinking, but I do. Like I don't mean to, but I do have an opinion. And just a real sense of you learn to keep things to yourself. And you almost live this sort of double double life where there's the person that everyone around you sees and then there's the person that you are because you're too scared of showing anybody what you really like. Gloria Vale members only use the authorised King James Version of the Bible. Gloria Vale's website says that they have found all others to be inferior in scholarship, spirit and fruits. In 1989, the community published a book called What We Believe, a guide to their way of life that is periodically updated. On the forbidden list is wearing sunglasses, listening to worldly music, rolling up your sleeves, smoking, alcohol, caffeine or recreational drugs. In illness, the first recourse is praying. They will see a medical professional if necessary, but from the glory of our website, quote, the overriding thought is that we trust God rather than science or drugs. Community members lead a healthy lifestyle with a sensible diet as they believe prevention is better than a cure, and there are fasting periods where they won't eat anything for days or eat only rice for a month. There are two trained midwives in the community, and home births are considered the ideal. Hannah told me that though births were celebrated, this didn't mean new mothers got much in the way of special treatment. Normally, like, the newborn would go to the centre, the um, childcare centres, fairly soon after they were born. Um, so, like, no chance to stay home and bond with your baby or whatever, you straight back to work. I asked Hannah what happened with breastfeeding. Most of the mums would carry a radio a little like walkie-talkie style radio and the centres would um, go and, you know, call them when their baby woke up or whatever and they'd go and they'd have like a time limit that they were allowed to spend with their baby before they had to be back at work. I think when you have your first and second child, you get about four weeks off those early morning duties. Like you'd still have to go to work during the day but you'd get – the early mornings off um, and then once you had your third child it would change to be you stay at home with your kids until breakfast time and then you you go to work from 9 to 3.30 and then you pick up your kids and take them home and bath them um, and get them ready for dinner. According to the Glory of Our website, members are not interested in education for the sake of education and are interested only where it can equip them to meet the needs of their community life. In 1971, Gloria Vale set up its own Christian school so that their children would no longer be taught about evolution and other so-called ungodly values. The school has passed regular inspections from the New Zealand Education Review Office. Students will only go on to university courses for things like teaching or specific trade qualifications but are not sent to campuses where, quote, ungodly attitudes can prevail. Music is a big part of children's education at Gloria Vale, with everyone learning an instrument and having the opportunity to play in the community's brass band, orchestra, or one of several other ensembles. Schooling is up to the age of 15, and the final year is in work experience with some part-time studies, according to the Gloria Vale website. From here, young members will enter the community workforce, while some of the young men will enter apprenticeships or cadetships, depending on their trade. At the age of 16, Gloria Vale members are strongly encouraged to sign a declaration of commitment that waives their right to receive income and gives over all their belongings to the community. If they haven't signed it at 16, they're required to at 18. 
The contract for girls has them promise to submit to men, look after the home, and remain meek, model, and pure. Former member Theophila Faithful told New Zealand Geographic that her father used to beat her mother, but that, quote, Girls and women get blamed for everything. My mother was told it was her fault how badly my dad treated her. Girls at Gloriavale aren't allowed to have private conversations with boys outside of their immediate family, so not even with cousins. Marriage usually happens at a young age, late teens or early 20s, and Hannah told me the girls have very little say in it. It's also a group that's run around marriage being the ultimate goal, which is all fine and good if you're that person that does get to get married. But what about those people that don't and they have to live their life in there in this sort of half-life where you get all the benefits by being married? And so if you're single, because like in, in there you don't, you don't choose who you marry. The leaders choose who you marry. So you don't choose if you don't get married either. The leaders choose that you don't get married. Um, and I, I don't think it's right that any one person should have that much control over another person's life. During the wedding, the couple makes vows to God and each other before the church, but no glory of our ministers are registered as marriage celebrants. These days they'll fill in paperwork with a local JP, but in the past members have come out thinking that they were legally married to find out that they weren't. Neville believed that marriage was through the sacred act of sexual union. After the ceremony, the couple heads to a private place pleasantly prepared for lovemaking and then returns to the gathered community for their wedding feast. The consummation is considered the forming of a bond that can only be broken by death. The Glory of Our website says, Considering that a woman is the only female of any species to have a hymen, it is evidence that God has created her in a special way, setting a seal upon her virginity to show the importance of marriage in his eyes. Purity culture has a lot of issues, not least that it often places the blame for men's sexual urges on women. Hannah told me a bit about how she saw this aspect of society at Gloria Vale. So if something happened or someone got abused, it's the woman's job to say no. Um, the men, they can't help it. So if someone got abused, it must be because they were flirting or something like that. Or, you know, in a case where it's like a young teenage couple that gets together when they shouldn't have, all the blame is on the girl. The girl should have said no. The boy can't help it. He can't say no. So it's a really warped way of thinking, actually. Former Gloria Vell member John Reddy told New Zealand Geographic about a relative of his who had been sexually abused. Quote, The men were told in a meeting by Nev that she had seduced this old guy. They made her forgive him. She was nine years old. Birth control and abortion are not allowed at Gloria Vale. It's not uncommon for couples to have 12 to 15 children. A lot of the burden of all of the work that this entails falls on the younger unmarried women in the community. Hannah knew this well as the eldest daughter in her family. In Gloria Vale, the expectation is that if you are from a big family and you're the oldest, it's you're like the second parents. It's like your job like without any um, reward or thanks or anything, you just have to, you have to be the responsible one for anything that the parents can't cope with because there's so many children. Which I think, like a lot of, a lot of people, would be quite surprised by that if they realise how much of your life that tends to invade. Like it's just an expectation, it's what everyone expects of you. 
to just um, just sort of be there for something that I guess you didn't choose. On top of helping with the parenting, the unmarried women have the heaviest domestic workload. All the women in there are split up into like four groups that would do your cleaning, your um, meal preparation, washing and then the actual cooking the meals for that day. So you split up into these four groups and the four groups rotate every day. So you're on like a four-day cycle of everything you do. Um, So generally, like if you averaged it out, you'd probably start work at 5am. The latest, like as a single girl, the latest you'd ever start work would be um, 6.30am, 7am at the latest, and then the earliest would be like 3 o'clock in the morning. So then you're up, so you don't have breaks, but there's kind of no such thing as breaks. Um, so you're, you you know, like you work until breakfast time. I guess, I guess you'd have a break at breakfast because they have a breakfast meal all together, um, which tends to be the time that all the leaders talk about what they want to talk about and, like, if they're going to growl about something, that's when it would be. Um, so, yeah, breakfast can generally go for about an hour. So it was compulsory to be at breakfast. And they even went through a stage that if you were late for breakfast, you had to stand up and apologise. So this is, like, in front of about 500 people. You had to stand up and apologise if you were five minutes late for breakfast. Um, so, yeah, so then you, you get your compulsory break at breakfast where you, you can't go anywhere else. Um, so then most days you have 10 minutes after breakfast um, and then you're back at work and you're at work until the end of the day. And the end of the day is just when you finish the work. So if you if you only finish the work at 6 seven o'clock that's when you stop so you just have to keep going until then um some days so I think like one day out of those four you get a half an hour lunch break the other days you don't get any at all you yeah you had no time to eat lunch you grab anything you can you grab something on the go or whatever. If you can, if you can't, you don't, and you don't eat till dinner time or after dinner if you don't finish work till after dinner. Because so all the single girls um, at the at the night meal, they would all serve the meals as well. So no matter what you've been doing during the day, you would then be on serving the meals at night and then helping with the dishes after the meal as well. Former member Theophila Faithful said that she was working from 5am to 7pm Monday to Saturday making cheese. Then Sundays worked in the kitchen from the age of 16. According to the Glory of Our website, each family enjoys a week's vacation each year using the natural facilities around the property for activities including camping, boating, bushwalks, sailing, fishing or water skiing. New Zealand Geographic journalist Anka Richter spoke with Gloria Vale community member Prudence Steadfast on a visit to one of the impressive community concerts. He told her that those who left were to be shunned as bad apples, but that they were well set up for a life outside because of their training in hard work and practical skills. He said that Gloria Vale is perfect for women because they don't have to work, though added when he was challenged, quote, well, not men's work. Hannah told me a little about her concept of money while she was a part of the community. If you had have asked me that when I was in Gloraville, I probably couldn't have told you. Like, so they have a, um, they have this sort of thing going where, you know, if you're that age where you can be employed, um, or for the guys anyway, you become a partner. Um, so it's kind of like you're self-employed which then means they don't have to pay you holiday pay or 
um, annual leave or any of that, um, and they can pay you under minimum wage because you're yeah because you're self-employed. But um, so all the money that I guess you earn, you don't see a cent of that. You don't you like you don't have a bank account. Um, you don't even know how to use an FPOS card for the most part. Um, I remember when I first had to open a bank account because I became a partner, um, they took us all in, the office girls had already filled out all our forms for us. Um, five minutes before we went into the bank, they said, here's $10 to open your bank account. And give us the $10, we go in put the papers down, open the bank account without knowing anything. Like, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, And about two months later, I get this call and I need to go to the office because the bank has rung me and they won't, like, a bank won't talk to anyone except you. Um, So I go in there thinking, oh, no, I don't know what to do, just absolutely panic. Like, I never... I guess I would be quite a shy person in general and I never had to talk to people outside of Gloraville. So I was absolutely terrified, like, what was I going to say? And I get into the office and they said, oh, you don't actually have to do anything. Don't worry about it. All you have to say is I'll let my accountant handle this. Just whatever they say, just say I'll let my accountant handle this and then pass it over to the accountant. And, and that's what I did because that's all I knew to do. And I wouldn't have been able to understand anything else anyway. But, like, to to someone who has always had money, that would seem pretty ridiculous. Um, but I guess you just do what you know to do. TVNZ showed a multi-part documentary in 2016 and a follow-up in 2018 called Gloria Vale, A World Apart, and Gloria Vale, The Return. The episodes covered various aspects of life in Gloria Vale and followed selected community members as they shared their perspectives on life there. On the subject of money, it presents a pretty communist-style approach, where everything is to be shared and nobody is given anything that anyone else doesn't also have access to. According to the Glory of Our website, the community is allowed to save money for a specific project, but not simply to create a buffer or safety net. The community is always supposed to live within their means and not ever borrow money. Hannah had a striking story that seemed to showcase a lack of budget allocated to certain community members' needs. So most of the floors, like all the kitchen floors, all the laundry floors are all concrete floors. And you get one pair of shoes a year. Um, and and it's always wet for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but I remember, like, constantly, because you wear a full ankle-length dress, your dress and your socks and shoes are always wet. Half the time you've got massive holes in. Like, I remember taping my shoes up because it wasn't, like, I had already used up my share of shoes and I couldn't get any more yet. So I'd have to like tape them up and keep using them just to have shoes to wear. In an article published by Stuff from the 3rd of March 2021, the Glory of L Trust reported a profit of almost $2.8 million and assets of $41 million in its annual return to charity services for 2020, which was up on the previous year. Gloria Vale community members are known to help with the wider community in terms of assisting those in need. They'll play musical shows for local residents and give away homemade goods at community fairs such as on Waitangi Day, New Zealand's National Day commemorating the signing of the Waitangi Treaty between the British Crown and Maori Chiefs. Their firefighting team serves as a backup for local crews. These contributions are valued by local community members but they are also things that allow the Glory of L Trust to retain its charity status. Amanda Evans, the filmmaker of Gloria Vale A World Apart and Gloria Vale The Return, told the Sunday magazine, quote, 
Most of the time, when Gloria Vale gets a spot in the media, it's usually that the journalist has decided beforehand what angle they're going to take. It's not our job to put our own opinions on this film, it's them telling their own story. They see this documentary as being a way of explaining their lifestyle to the rest of New Zealand and showing New Zealand the model for a pious life. Liz Gregory started the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust to support those coming out of the community in adjusting to the outside world. Liz spoke to me for this episode, and I asked her for her thoughts about these documentaries, which screened on the national broadcaster. When those documentaries came out, uh, we would often have people from Gloria Vale either staying at a house or coming to visit, and it was always entertaining to watch those documentaries with a room full of explorer Vale people. <laughs> I, I particularly remember one night, one of the young fellows, he was about 21, he just stood up and he pointed his finger at the screen and said, that's a lie. <laughs> you know, like, and they're, they're busy telling you, that's not true, she didn't want to do that, you know, and they're like really verbalising, oh, that's just nonsense, oh, that happened once. They're trying to make out that happens all the time. And so you get a very real honest reaction when you watch one with a lever. Um, and so Gloria Mal is really good at something called optics. Very good at, at wanting to put themselves across as a glossy, utopia, Christian community. We're all in unity, we're in harmony, and we're all very happy. And this is a beautiful life. And it would be so great if it was. Like, who would criticise it? We wouldn't criticise it. But when all you see coming out of there is heartbreak, carnage and trauma, you've got to wonder, was there anything true? And uh, one of the ex-leavers said, you know, for some people in there, those documentaries are true. They're like, they're true in their head. Like they're true in this simple, I'm just going to believe it's a utopia. I'm going to look the other way when anything bad happens. I'm just going to trust God that this is beautiful and this is where I'm supposed to be. So in a really innocent, don't use your brain and think about it, you can try and pretend that this is the utopia. But everyone in there tells you, you know it's not because you're living what's become a nightmare. And so, um, and I like to remind people that when people leave Glorivale, it's not like 30% of people that come out say it's bad and the other 70 say, no, what are you talking about? It's great. It's literally 99% or 100% of people over time come out and go, yeah, it's actually as bad as all that. It's shocking. So that's how we knew those documentaries were nothing but optics. They looked amazing. And I guess if something looks amazing and too good to be true, it probably is. Um, I know people that went and joined Gloraval after watching those glossy documentaries and um, stayed for a period of time. And some can't stay longer than two, three, four weeks because you see it. If you've lived on the outside and you try and join Gloraval, you can see its faults, its domination, its control, its manipulation. It's like glaringly obvious. So people do not last. Honestly, when I watched these documentaries for the first time, I thought perhaps this wasn't a cult and I shouldn't be covering it for the podcast. But as Liz said, you only need to listen to those who've left to get a very different picture. With some of the cults I've looked at over the four seasons of this podcast, I've read academic papers that frame former members and critical journalists as anti-cult activists who have a vendetta, implying their words should carry less weight. It's an approach I find rather perplexing. I asked Hannah what she'd say to someone who saw Gloria Vale as a harmonious community working together for the common good and providing for everyone equally. I think you see what you want to see. You see what they want you to see. Um, and they want you to see that. That's exactly what they want you to see. But there's too much evidence and too many people that have left saying something different, not to question it and go, hey, there's more to this story than what we know. And as my brothers would say, you have a you have an opinion because why you haven't lived there. Like you 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 shouldn't have an opinion if you haven't lived there and you're only listening to one side of the story. Maybe your opinion is wrong and maybe that opinion needs to change. 
And then the the thing is also, if it's so good, why don't you go and live there? <laughs> like, because maybe you'll find once you lose all your independence that it's not as good as you think. Um, and I know, like I, you know, have people at my work that say, "Imagine a world without any money. How amazing would that be?" And I'm like. That would be terrible. I don't want that world. I've had that world. I don't want that. You know, like it's it's all good and in this utopian sort of the world is perfect because all the people in it are perfect. But real life is not like that. People are not perfect. And if you get a society where people, you know, somebody has that much control over another human being. That's a bad thing. Neville Cooper started out with very conservative views on sex and meted out punishments if anything about sex was mentioned by his children even if they were just repeating something they'd overheard and didn't understand what they were saying. Then when Neville's daughters started to marry, Lilia wrote that it became clear that their upbringing had left them woefully unprepared for the realities of the sexual aspects of marriage. Neville apparently decided that some of the more progressive attitudes of the hippie movement and openness around sexual relationships had something to offer, so long as the sex was restricted to a man and wife. He began to include the formerly taboo subject amongst his lectures, telling followers they needed to loosen up and be more open with their children on the topic. It became part of the parents' responsibility to prepare their children for the consummation of their marriage. Hannah told me a little about Gloria Vell attitudes towards sex. Like I said, it's, it's a culture that's um, centred around getting married. So it's a very sexualized culture. Um, it's a culture that they'd openly talk about way too much stuff at the dinner table and with all the kids there. Um, it's a culture that you, as a girl, you grow up with the sense of I have power over what boys and men think and I can control them with my body, basically. Which um like is a is actually a horrible thing when you're a 10, 12 year old girl to think that you have that much power. Um and and there's a this culture of, you know, and Hopeful would say this all the time, the the men can't help it. It's the woman's job to say no. Neville believed that girls were ready to wed as soon as they had their first menstrual cycle. But New Zealand law stopped Gloria Vell from marrying girls under the age of 16. Neville Cooper's second wife, the older Anna, passed away when Neville was 69 years old. Neville's third wife was 17 when they wed. When members of Neville's family who had left Gloria Vell heard about his new teenage wife, they decided it was time to raise some of their concerns about the patriarch. Several relatives, including his son Phil, filed 11 complaints of sexual misconduct against Neville. Phil Cooper wrote his own book about his experiences as the son of Gloria Vale's founder, called Sins of the Father. He wrote that the older men at Gloria Vale were consuming sexually explicit images and films, that he had to watch his own wife be fondled by his father, and that young girls were being invited to share spa baths with older married community members. Phil raided Gloria Vale in the dead of night to get his children out after he left. Following the sexual misconduct complaints, Neville was arrested. Subsequently, more young women came forward with allegations. In 1995, Neville was found guilty of 10 charges of indecent sexual assault towards Gloria Vale members aged 12 to 19. On appeal, he was sentenced to five years in prison for three counts of indecent assault. His victim in these three counts, Yvette Olsen, later had a suppression order lifted and spoke to the media about her experiences. 
she said that Neville Cooper was no man of God. At sentencing, the judge had said that a more serious case of indecent assault was hard to imagine. In part two of this episode, you'll hear about the aftermath of Neville Cooper's arrest. You'll hear more from Liz Gregory about what the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust is doing to help former members. And you'll hear from Liz and Hannah about the impacts of leaving the community. You'll also hear about investigations into various allegations against community members and where they're at today. I hope you'll join me. had experiences in a cult, I'm going to be sending out a survey to collect some stories and reflections as part of the research for a book I'm writing. So do sign up to the e-newsletter or hit follow on one of the social media channels if you'd be up for that. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase via ltaspod.com. Even a dollar a month will help with this rather daunting upcoming book project. Otherwise, I'd love you to drop a quick rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice and share an episode with friends if you found it valuable. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written by me, Sarah Steele, and researched by Hayley Gray and myself. Music was by Joe Gould. Thanks to Corey Green of Transducer Audio for editing. A very special thanks to Hannah Harrison for sharing her story with me and to Liz Gregory for answering all of my questions about the Leavers Support Trust, whose website you can find in the show notes. Information sources are listed on the episode page at ltaspod.com. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 4 of Let's Talk About Sects. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, be sure to head to audio-technica.com.au to check out their stuff. Their range of earphones and headphones is quite ridiculous, from true wireless to noise cancelling to professional studio, and they're known for some of the best sound around. If you have personally been affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via www.cifs.org.au. And you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia, call or text 1737 in New Zealand, or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for listening. Riddle me this, friends. Why was the eight-month-old cadaver of Pope Formosus dug up and put on trial at St. Peter's Basilica? Also, which foreign leader stole a pocket watch from Winston Churchill? For these answers and much more, tune in to the History Obscura podcast. This is the place where history's forgotten secrets are on shelf from my vast firelit book repository and reintroduced to the world. Learn stories of ancient UFO encounters, royal troublemakers, martyrs, and monsters. Join me every Saturday night for a fresh tale. I'll supply the tea, but last one in brings the biscuits. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.